G'day and welcome back. Darren Mitchell here with another pre-interview uh, prequel, if you like. And this is an interview that I implore you to listen to multiple times. For many people looking at 2024, it's filled with uh, lots of opportunity, but also for some, it's filled with lots of uncertainty. And in today's episode, I have the absolute privilege of speaking with Meredith Elliott Powell, who is now the incoming chair of the National Speakers Association in the United States. She's also a business motivational speaker and the CEO of Motion First. She is an expert on thriving in uncertain times, and we talk about uncertainty and some of the key strategies that as leaders we can employ in order to minimize some of that uncertainty and create for many people levels of certainty within our teams. It's a phenomenal conversation, and I do uh, suggest and highly recommend that you connect with uh, Meredith. She's a phenomenal speaker and a phenomenal business person, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of the interview. So without further ado, let's get straight into the podcast. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast on this, well, in Melbourne, it is Tuesday, but I'm uh, I'm speaking with another very special guest all the way from Asheville, North Carolina, Meredith Elliott-Powell. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Excited to be here and excited to uh, to do this uh, conversation today. It's going to be lots of fun. Love it. Before we we're pressing record, we we're just talking about uh, the weather and the fact that uh, it's winter over there, but... I know you're an avid um, outdoorsy type person playing tennis and, a, and an avid golfer. And I've got a few friends in the, in the United States that only can play golf a few months of the year because of the conditions. And you were saying that it's pretty much even even conditions across the entire year in uh, in yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, we have four even seasons. So winter is three months, spring is three months, summer is three months, fall is three months. So it never gets really too hot here and never gets really too cold. And why people live somewhere where they can't get out and play golf at least a couple of days a week, I don't know. It's just beyond me. <laughs> and where you're sitting right now, it's a very, um, how do I say, there's a very uh, timber laden, is that a, is that like a, um, is that a loft or a, what do you call yeah, it? Yeah, it's a, it's a loft. I'm in my office. My husband and I actually live in a log cabin in nice. the mountains of Western North Carolina. Fantastic, and in the background, I can see some beautiful trees in the yeah. uh, in the background. So, what a what a terrible workplace that is! I know, I know. What a what a painful workplace. <laughs> so, Meredith, um, as we were talking about, this is a, a an interesting situation because we we almost became accidental connections where we had some emails <laughs> cross over, and um, hey, maybe things happen for a, for an absolute reason. I but, think um, they do. Yeah, so we seem to be very similar in terms of uh, our thought process and love to talk to about a number of things coming up this year, particularly around uncertainty for leadership. But for the listeners' benefit, I'll just give a bit of a bit of an update and then I'd love to get a bit of background from you in your own words and what led you to do what you do. But you're a business motivational speaker, a business strategist, um, CEO of Motion First, uh, the developer of the Thrive System, which I'd love to delve into. And uh, as I pointed out just before, you haven't yet updated your LinkedIn profile, which you're probably going to do imminently. You are now. Yes, I am right now. Excellent. You are now the incoming chair of the National Speakers Association, yes. which is uh, which is fantastic. So I did see a little video 
that you posted where it was a little ceremony and you actually um, were handed the mantle there. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So for the listeners benefit, love to, before we jump into today's conversation, love to know a little bit about, in your own words, your background and specifically what led you down the path of doing what you do now, working with leaders all around the world and helping them thrive in, in times of uncertainty. Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting question because for years, I was not the kid who graduated from college and knew what she wanted to do. You know how you went to school with people who knew they wanted to be an architect or a dentist yeah. or I was not that person. And uh, I graduated from school and I went to work um, at, at in an area for travel and tourism. Then I went over into healthcare and then I went into financial services. And I never really thought that my career made a lot of sense until one day I was on a podcast and somebody had asked me a question kind of like this. And I realized that I went in to travel and tourism when a hurricane had wiped out the community. I went into healthcare when managed care here in the U.S. was completely transforming the industry. And I went into financial services when... Um, when regulations were uh, were really coming down on the banking industry. And what I realized was disruption is kind of my thing. I mean, mm. where most people hate it, I love it. I love it when people say, we can't possibly be successful given all the challenges in front of us. I like figuring out how to do that. So that's really how I got led down that path. Love it. And from a, from a speaking point of view, was that just a natural evolution of the work you got into or did you decide one day you know what I want to be a public speaker I'm going to go and talk no I didn't even know that speaking was a thing and um and I in 2008 which was the you know global um financial crisis I had um I had worked with a lot of companies writing their strategies I'd gone on my own as a consultant and my companies did really well they came through the financial crisis really really solidly and people said, could you come tell us what you did? So I went yeah. to the local Rotary Club uh, here in the U.S., the Kiwanis Club, things like that. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you should go to the National Speakers Association. Now, I have such a big head. I thought that was a compliment, but um, I'm sure it was. You're a terrible speaker. You should go to the <laughs> National Speakers Association. So I he went to the National. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the National Speakers Association and the rest was history. Wow. Yeah. And what did they, and because I, I, what I, I like from a podcasting point of view is um, I believe it's helped me in terms of being able to communicate um, in coaching sessions and also in workshops and facilitation. How have you found your ability to now communicate having gone through that experience and, and maybe given that advice to go to the National Speakers Association? And maybe it was because you had such a great message and I think we need to expand this message, right? So you always look at the glass half full, right? Okay. I think that's, I think that's, let's look at it. Let's look at it your way. Um, <laughs> okay. But um, what I loved, what I was attracted to was that I, I think I learned immediately that anything that I was talking about, people could really find at the time through a book or by getting on a computer, they could research and get information themselves so it wasn't information that a speaker relays. It was the way a speaker did it. And could you motivate people to take action? Yeah. And that is what I feel like. I feel like, you know, what I always say about speakers is I really feel what we do is essential. We, um, we identify a problem. We go, don't worry about it. I'm going to jump in the water first. I'm going to figure out how to swim. And then I'm going to come back and make it so easy for you 
that you can navigate this perfectly. And I didn't, so motivating people, the way that you speak, having that skill, whether you ever step on a professional stage, heck, it's been helpful with my kids, you know, like those things are really important. Yeah. And you said a really interesting thing there is, is motivated to take action. And that is, because I've often I've often thought about motivational speakers and you go to a motivational seminar and how much of that motivation lasts um, from the from the time that person speaks and from a motivational point of view it's about and I love your I love your perspective on this how do I get somebody incentivized and inspired to want to take action because there's something beneficial to them versus me trying to incentivize them to do it for their own good so the yeah. difference extrinsic yeah. versus intrinsic motivation. Yeah, I think that I think the most important part of that is for them to understand the why. Yeah. Why is it good for them? Why does it matter? And then the second piece is to engage them in the process. And I'll give you a quick example. I was on with a client today who's um who's really having trouble at work. It's a CEO that I coach and she's having a lot of trouble with one of her board members. And she's right. Like he's really being troublesome. Yeah. Right. And um and so we talked about the fact that when she communicates with him, is her goal to be right or does she want to be effective and achieve her goals? Yeah. So I asked her that question and she said, I want to be effective and 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 achieve my goals. I said, great. I said, so we can talk all day long about why you're right, but that isn't going to get you where you need to go. So then we switched over and my conversation became questioned. So when I hit the stage, I'll tell people that, you know, I talk about uncertainty and all the challenges in the marketplace. And then I get it. I understand. I am right out there with you. Mm. But if you are going to succeed today, you are need to get a shift how you think about uncertainty. You need a strategy to start to control change. You need a plan. You have so much confidence in that you can, every time uncertainty hits you, you can turn it into opportunity. And so I, I connect with the audience, then, then I, I help them understand why they should listen yeah. to me, that, yeah. it, that there's value in it for them. Yeah. Cause yeah. every single person in the audience is going to have potentially a different challenge, a different problem, a different, uh, I guess, gravity of the situation. And so you can't be there to give one, um, one solution to that problem that fits fits all of it. So everyone's going to have their individual concerns and their individual situations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, because I'd love to talk about uh, where Thrive came from. You mentioned before that um, working through the GFC and working as a business strategist, a lot of the work you did resulted in companies coming through that time in pretty good shape. If you look back on that and if you did some reflection, because as Steve Jobs says, sometimes we can only join the dots when we look backwards, not forwards. Um, what was it that was different that you think? Um, and what did you help these companies understand through that period that enabled them to come through that period and hopefully, um, and I'll let you talk about this, uh, thrive post-GFC? Yeah. So number one, it, it would be like my simple answer is that they had a plan and they had a strategy and having a plan and a strategy made them do two things. It made them have confidence. Mm-hmm. And the second is it made them take action. You know, the line to success and uncertainty isn't straight at all, but if you don't move, you go backwards. Yeah. And so having a plan and having a strategy is what, um, 
is what got them through because they're and with progress, you'll find opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that because what you're talking about, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it's almost I'm hearing an imperfect plan is going to be a lot better than stagnation and procrastination. Waiting yes. for the perfect and, plan to come along. You know, I always say to people, I'm like, you know, there's nothing more fun than grabbing a glass of wine, going out with my girlfriends and sitting around and complaining for the next couple of hours about why life is unfair. But the problem with that is at the end of two hours, we're still in the same spot. Nothing's <laughs> changed, right? And so this isn't about being right. This isn't about what is fair. This is about how do you make yourself successful no matter the odds. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. means you've got to you've got to take action, and it action will actually create a thing called momentum. And as long as you've got feedback, but I think as you were talking about, as long as you've got a a plan and a structure and a strategy behind that, that strategy and that plan can change. But you're not going to know whether it needs to be changed unless you're moving forward, taking some form of action. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so through this process, was this where the Thrive methodology or the Thrive system was born? Was that the genesis or did that come later? You know what? The way that Thrive was born was um, in 2018 and 2019, moment of silence for 2018 and 2019, back when the economy was rock and solid and we didn't worry about war in Europe and inflation and COVID. I was talking to my clients and my clients were saying, oh my God, we've had the best year on record. Things couldn't be better. But oh, this uncertainty. Everybody was saying the same thing. And I thought, why does uncertainty have to be a bad thing? And doesn't the world blow up every 50 years? I mean, certainly people have been through far bigger challenges than we have ever been through. And I just thought to myself, let me try to find leaders out there that had done that, companies that had actually grown through world wars and economic depression. Let me tell you, it's really interesting because not many have. Most didn't make it because their lack of agility and adaptability and weak leadership really put them under. But it was that's how the genesis that I wanted to help my cl clients feel differently about uncertainty. And then once I did that, people were like, great, what do we do? Like, I realized that the paralysis came because people didn't know what to do. And I thought, if I can solve that problem, they'll be in great shape. And so from that, without, I mean, obviously it's a proprietary system and you don't necessarily reveal everything about it. But I'll, what I'll, reveal, I'll reveal anything you want me to reveal. <laughs> What, so what's the, for people listening to this, because if you think about 2024 and we'll talk about, I guess, your views of 2024 and, and you know, reading the tea leaves a little bit, um, what are some key components of Thrive that people, maybe your clients have really grabbed hold of that have enabled them to navigate the seas of uncertainty? And I, and I get, gather that and from what you're talking about, all of it's based on this constant and never-ending um, action that needs to be taken because if you, as you said, if you stagnate, you stay close, stay, yeah. um, you stay standing, then you're going to be going backwards. What are some key components of the thrive system that, that really um, moves the needle? You know, it's funny because what really, um, one that really, really surprised me was um, it's the first one. And that um, there's there's a few I'm going to tell you that I'm really, really passionate about. And I'll tell I'd, I'd share the whole thing. I'm such on a mission to help people thrive in uncertainty. But strategy number one is a relentless vision, is that probably one of the most shocking things that I discovered that is success isn't logical. Mm. 
It doesn't mm. belong to the business in the best location with the most resources or anything. It belongs to the business with the leader who has a vision for what their life. And I think, I think we see that in personal life too. I mean, how many yeah. people do you, how many great people do you see that defied the odds, right? And that is your mind will find what it focuses on. Yeah. And I think that has always been challenging, but I think in today's marketplace, it's more challenging than ever because every message we get during the day is so negative. I mean, it it uh, just really, you know, we hear the economy's bad. We hear inflation's bad. We hear, you know, that, you know, that, um, that you know, it, with the labor market, you know, we have to pay too much. You can't find labor. I mean, you just hear negative, negative, negative. Mm -hmm. So you start to get conditioned that you can't be successful. But that is probably the most shocking thing that I found is that you have to have a relentless vision. So I tell my clients to take a note card, like I'm here at my desk and in this desk is a little note card. And if I pulled that note card out, you would see where I see my life, my health, my finances, my relationships a year from now. Yeah. And I read it in the morning, I read it at noon and I read it again before I shut my office down because I'm trying to condition my brain to find opportunity. Yeah. And that's some, something that's very easy to overlook, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's lots of yeah. self-help books out there and and as you rightly said, there's so much information that we're being bombarded with every single moment of the day that that talks about how bad things are, that if we listen to that, we're going to start to believe it. Yes. Um, and it's also probably fair to say that we are our in, individually our own worst critics as well because it's a case of, you know, if often we'll actually look at the future based on what we've achieved in the past. Mm -hmm. And if that past is not that great, then it sort of limits our thinking about what's possible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to get bogged down. I use an example in the book, I'm talking about whitewater rafting. And, you know, when you go on a whitewater raft trip, they'll tell you to see the big rapid in front of you, but then they'll move your eyes to the calm water. And they'll tell yeah. you, you won't have any idea how you got there, but your raft will be pulled there like a magnet and yeah. your life works exactly the same way. Yeah. So you've got to have you've got to have your eyes on the prize, pretty much. Yes, very much so. So with that, so relentless. Any any key, I guess, insights, key ideas to help people overcome this? I guess this nexus of negative thinking to say, well, how do I create this relentless vision? How how yeah. can I lift the lid off my thinking and say this is possible without the thought thought of oh, you know, you've got to be realistic, you know. There are people yeah. starving in the world. <laughs> I think that I think you need to give in to the fact that you are going to doubt yourself. And that is the reason that I tell my clients to read it three times a day. You're training your brain to be optimistic. The problem with self-help books and things like that is that you get up and it's like, if I do this, everything will change. Yeah. I mean, no, it won't. Like there are days that I get up that I'm so sure I'm never going to get another job. And my husband and I are going to be on the street starving to death. You know, like it, like it's irrational thought, but I have it. Yeah. So I have to work to rewire that. And so that's probably the, the thing is, is just write a note card down. Just write it out. What, what do you want? Maybe you want to be, you want to grow your business by 20%. You want to be in the best shape of your life. You want to have a really healthy, committed relationship. You want to go on two vacations a year. I don't care. This isn't for anybody but you. And the crazy thing, like I did a, um, I did mine and my mastermind laughed at me because I was talking about my financial portfolio last year and how much I wanted to increase my financial portfolio. And they told me I was crazy. I would never do that. 
And I thought, well, it's okay. I read it every day. I'm, I exceeded that. I have no idea how I did that. I had no idea how I did that. I don't know. It still feels like magic to me, but it happened. Well, it happened. But it's, mm-hmm. but it's happened because you're intentional. Yeah. And absolutely. I think the, the word that I like really is relentless. Yeah. It's relentless. Yes. And it's interesting. I was doing a leadership program with a large organization before Christmas and we we're just talking to the leaders. And I and just through the conversation, I actually brought up this concept of as leaders, we need to be relentlessly uncompromising. But mm-hmm. the uncompromising part, when people listen to that, they think, oh, uncompromising means it's really um it's a negative connotation. I said, no, no, no. Relentless uncompromising is based on a really high set of standards based on excellence. And think about this. It's based on love. So you love your team. You'll do anything for your team. But because of that, you'll be relentless, relentlessly uncompromising when it comes to the pursuit of excellence. So you need to hold your standards up really, really high, which means yes. as a leader, your thinking has to be so much further in front of your of your team then that that creates, I guess, the opportunity for them to at least start to bridge that gap. And so for you doing that with your mastermind, saying this is what I'm going to achieve, they're probably sitting there thinking that is impossible. Yes. But you're relentless in terms of that. And guess what? You've now proven what's possible to others. Now, they may not want to improve their financial situation like you did, but they might be wanting to improve in other areas. There might be, yeah, there might be, there might be something else um, for yeah. you. That's a beautiful thing about it. I love the fact that you jumped on to relentless because that is the differentiator. I always tell people, I'm like, this isn't a vision that you hang on your wall or you put on your website. This is a, yeah. this is a vision you are so focused on that no matter the obstacle in front of you, you find opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And the good thing that you've, you've shared is you also said you're human because you wake up some days and think, yeah. oh my gosh, what's going to turn to the proverbial? Exactly. I can't put two oh, words together. Yeah. My, um, my husband laughs because he's he's retired now. He sold his dental practice a little bit ago, but he remembers being as stressed out as I was. Like one day, I'm like, "Oh my god, I have so much work, I can't even breathe." We're not, I mean, I can't I can't keep my head above water. Then two days later, I'm like, "Oh my god, nobody's called me. We're gonna die." You know, like I mean, you're just that is the part of being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you you worry, you stress. I mean, it's just it's just part of it. Yeah. But um, but. Your job, I love that you mentioned the leader too, because your job as a leader is you've got to get your team focused on what's possible. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's because where if the not, they'll are. get stuck in the uncertainty. Well, they will. And you've got to understand that they are also human beings who are going to be impacted by all the stuff in their environment. And if they choose to listen to that, what I have to do as a leader is I have to almost um be louder than that to make sure that I've had I have a better opportunity of my message getting through to them versus all the stuff that they're going to be listening to potentially outside. Right. Absolutely. So number one, relentless vision. What's the what's the next one? So the next one I want to talk about, because you talked about the team, is that um I always say that once you know I've gotten you focused on the vision, just so that you don't think I'm all Pollyanna and you just, you know, cross your legs in a yoga position, chant relentless vision and the life works out. Um, strategy yeah, number two is strategy number two is to condition yourself for change. Um, I learned a term from the US military called embrace the suck. And I love that term because I think embrace it's term, the suck. Yeah. I love that term because I think that's how you thrive in uncertainty. But the idea is that it isn't the optimist that thrives in uncertainty and it isn't the pessimist, but it's the realist. It is the one who says, I don't like what's going on, but how can I find a way 
to, to use this to grow, um, to grow my business. And the example that we use in the book is a little company called Jim Beam that makes Jim Beam whiskey. And here in the United States, being Australian, you cannot relate at all. But um, but during um, as Jim Beam was CEO, he had to deal with this little thing called prohibition. And it was the idea that the making of the selling of and the consuming of alcohol would be outlawed. Now, nobody believed that it ever would become outlawed. Yeah. But the difference between Jim Beam and all of his competitors is he asked himself, what if? What would I do if prohibition became law? So even though he didn't think that change was going to come, he got ready anyway. And long the, the moral of the story was he had diversified his revenue streams. Every competitor he had declared bankruptcy. And while they were busy cleaning up the past, he was getting ready for the changes that he knew would come again. And that would be that prohibition would be repealed. And this, despite the fact that he was 70 years old, he had his distillery back up and running. He had all his distributors in place in 120 days, a full year ahead of his closest competitor. Wow. And Jim, yeah. by the, Jim Bean, by the way, is, is a very, very popular um, product here in Australia as well. <laughs> it, I, find that it's, uh, I find that it's very popular in a lot of places. It's uh, it's amazing. And yeah. it's almost like, uh, you know how you go to restaurants and you go to bars and you say, I'll have a Coke, right? Almost like I'll have a Jim Beam and Coke or a Scotch and Coke. Often it's not Jim Beam that you get, but they use Jim Beam as the, like the colloquialism or whatever it's called. Oh, that's awesome. Now, the other thing you were talking about there in terms of conditioning for change, I couldn't help. What came into my mind was um, the guy, Victor Frankel. Yes, um, yes. When you think about the people who he had to, well, what he learned through his experience through the concentration camps, the people who were pessimists died quickly. The ones that were mm -hmm. optimists also ended up dying, but it was the ones who were able to take what was happening, allocate some form of meaning to it, but then control the thinking and the actions that he therefore took were the ones that ultimately came out on top. And I think there's a really strong message there that um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen to us and it's what we choose to make that mean that's a really important thing, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's 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 exactly that, that in the face, you know, change is coming. So it can be your greatest opportunity if you prepare for it. If you wait for change, it's going to be the thing that, that buries you. And the more you talk about change, the more resilient you become to it. Yeah. And so we could go into all sorts of tangents here. And I'm, I'm thinking change management, but change management is not my expertise. I love the fact that if we can just, as leaders in particular, um, embrace the suck and yeah. by that understand that stuff's going to happen that probably you haven't thought about and you haven't necessarily prepared for, but at least you start thinking about what those possible consequences are, you're more likely to be in a better better situation to be able to handle it. Would that be a fair yeah. statement? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I love the fact that, you know, when you talk about leaders, I tell leaders all the time, your role has evolved now. You're not just leading people for today, you've got to get them prepared now for tomorrow. Mm. You you know that what you're asking them to do right now will not be exactly what you're asking them to do a year from now. So get them ready. Mm. Yeah. And embracing the suck almost says, hey, this is not utopia. This is not, um, we're not talking about uh, unicorns here. Everything's not just rosy and beautiful. There's stuff that's going to happen we're going to have to work through. Mm -hmm. And if we are if we are ready for that, then we're going to be in a much better position to be able to get through whatever we're going to be confronted with this year, i.e. the Jim Beam story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love it. So we've got the relentless vision. 
conditioning ourselves for change. What's what's the next one you'd like to cover off? Let me let me fast forward to one that's about how to make money in the face of uncertainty, because I think that um, so many people think that when the marketplace gets challenging, they can't make money in that type of marketplace. But the truth is, it's one of the best times to make money. And but you have to understand how you grow in the face of uncertainty is different. Mm. When the marketplace is hot and things are good and there isn't a lot of change and uncertainty out there, you pretty much open your doors and the business just comes to you. But when the marketplace is uncertain, it's about solving the right problem and understanding mm. the problem your customers are facing. We call this strategy secure your base. <clears throat> and the idea is that you don't um you don't uh uh, go out and try to attract new business until you understand the current problems that your existing customers are facing. I'll give you a quick story. Yeah. The company that we highlight in the book is Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble, P&G, was started in the 1800s by two men, Mr. Procter and Mr. Gamble, who were marrying sisters. The very first product, um, they one night at the dining room table in Cincinnati, Ohio, they were fighting over the price of animal fat. Um, it was, they had competing businesses, one sold candles and one sold soap. Their father-in-law heard them fighting and said, boys, quit competing and form a company. And Procter & Gamble was born. The very first product they decided to put on the market was soap. And I always tell people, I mean, can you imagine a bigger commodity? How do you differentiate yourself in the market? Yeah. But Procter & Gamble is a brilliant company. Before they ever put a product on the market, they go out and they ask people, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What they found out about soap was that people loved soap, but the problem with soap was when you were lathering up in the bathtub, it would slip out of your hands, fall to the bottom of the bathtub, and you couldn't find it. And people told Procter & Gamble, we wanted a soap that floats. And Procter & Gamble heard gold, shot air into a bar of soap. Ivory soap was born. They tagged it, a soap that floats. And by the end of the 1800s, it was a million-dollar company. Wow. Wow, but it was a million. But ivory soap is white. It comes in a block, and so their competitors were far more sexy. Yeah. But they were solving the wrong problem. Yeah. So the path to growth and profitability in the face of uncertainty is through the customer complaint. Yeah. It's listening to what customers complain about. If you listen to what they complain about, they will give you the path to growth and profitability. And how many organizations? don't do that or they think they know what the problem is but that's, they're also fixated on their, their own product yeah that's where the problem is is yeah. we think we know what the problem is yeah. that's the problem yeah and yeah. you got so many companies that do the net promoter scores and the customer yeah. satisfaction surveys and yet when they get the i guess the constructive feedback they go into resistance mode and say no 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 our product is the best in the marketplace what, what are you talking about right exactly and from a selling point of view, in the area that, that I do a lot of work in, that's that's what I'm always talking to sales leaders and sales teams about is go and find what the challenge is in the marketplace, the problem that needs to be solved, and then solve that problem. Because if you do that, that could be the Procter & Gamble example that you just talked about in your particular niche, in your particular industry. Yeah, it's exactly. You know, We live in a world today where customers can find products all over the place. That's not a problem at all. There's nothing you sell that a thousand other people don't sell. It's the yeah. same with me. Um, but people choose you over the competition because you understand them. And yeah. understanding them is about solving the right problem. Yes, which means we've got to ask the right questions. So yes. behind that, are there any any key insights in terms of um, in the work that you do in helping, helping your clients, particularly in times of uncertainty, trying to 
not so much dominate their their existing base, but secure the base. What sort of key questions or key insights can we can we ask them to really deep dive into that and get a better understanding? Yeah, first of all, um, I think that you need to give salespeople a dual role. This, this, the goal of salespeople used to be to buy, to get products and services to drive sales. But I also think there are linked to the voice of the customer. So, you know, so change the thought process. Like when my salespeople come back now, I want to know what's the customer talking about? What's the customer worried about? What are you hearing out there? Mm. But I think it's the general questions. I think it's, you know, this is what I'm hearing is going on in your industry. How is that impacting you? You know, if you could focus on one thing this year that would really make a difference in your business, what's the competition doing to you? You know, I, I mean, just the goal is really, really listening because the customer won't even understand what they're telling you. Like when my customers started, the reason I started speaking about uncertainty was I was talking, I told you, talking to every customer and they just said, oh, the uncertainty. They didn't realize they were giving me their problem, but I saw a theme and I was like, this is a problem. And and when people look at what I do, I want them to say, she gets me. She understands me. I want that. Yeah. And when that happens, your level of credibility in the eyes of the customer goes up because you then become the trusted person. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't matter what product or service you want to sell, they'll want to do business with you because they've developed that rapport with them. Absolutely. Yep. Love it. And I love that, solving the right problems because there's so many organizations out there that try to retrofit what their own product or service is into a perceived or into a created problem. And they throw all the features and benefits to the marketplace about how their soap is the best on the marketplace. And it comes in this beautiful color without actually recognizing, well, does the market actually need this? Is there a problem that needs to be solved first and foremost? Right. right. Um, love it. How many more are there? Well, there's nine total, but I'll give oh, you one nine. more. There's well, nine. I'm, hey, not gonna, I'm not going to give you all nine, but I'll give you no, one no. more. Yeah, cool. Okay. One more. Um, you've got to realize through no fault of your own, no fault of your own, some of the strategies that you used in 2023 won't work in 2024. Some of the strategies that you use to grow your business at the beginning of 2023 won't grow your business at the close of 2024. It's not your fault. The marketplace change. Yeah. And so while conditioning yourself for change is about predicting the changes coming in the marketplace, Shed fast and keep moving, which is the strategy we're talking about now, is retro looking every quarter and asking yourself three very important questions. What did I do last quarter that grew my business? What was effective? What do I need to double down on and do more of? Number two, what didn't work? What's a waste of time? What isn't effective anymore? And last but not least, um, what do I need to be doing that I'm not doing that could take my business to another level? I was working on this a lot today, you know, as, as we came through November and December, I was sending a lot of emails. Emails was really effective. I'm noticing I'm not getting much response to emails right now. I need to go back to the telephone. Yeah. And I was thinking about what I need to be doing that I'm not doing is I need to double down on my brand. I need to get, I need to get even more defined on it. So it's that thing of asking yourself on a regular basis and learning from your own behavior. Cause you've got to realize that the, the probably you got to see this too. The biggest mistake I see salespeople make is they spend time doing stuff, they are focused on being busy. They are not focused on being productive. No, and they're not getting feedback. And what you're talking yeah. about there uh, is reflection. Right. And as leaders, I, I, I give challenges to leaders all the time that if they can carve out two 15-minute increments per week 
out of what 200 of those they might have, only taking two of those 15-minute increments to reflect and to think. And part of that would be just what you alluded to there, what's been working well. So what am I happy about? What are the wins? What hasn't been working so well? And what do I need to change to move forward? That gives you the retrospective look in terms of what's been working so you can adjust and you can change. Okay. And so it doesn't mean it's it's if you're doing that on a regular basis, then change that happens doesn't necessarily appear to be as huge as it could be compared to if we didn't do that and we get to the end of the year and say, oh, my God, this is not working. What's going on? And we look back and think, man, six months ago, if I had have just sat there and looked at what wasn't working, I wouldn't be in this position. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. Well said. So four key uh, out of nine. And so for people to get the rest of the five, where do they need to go? All they need to do is go to my website, valuespeaker.com, valuespeaker.com. And um, they can get, they'll get all the information uh, there and they follow me on LinkedIn. You'll find me. Um, and I've got, uh, you know, I do a, um, a really good um I do a lot of webinars and a lot of things. I reveal the strategy all over the place. So if you connect with me, I'm a big believer, build your network. It will, um, it will change your life. Yeah. So, um, so if you connect with me, I will connect with you. Yeah. Perfect. Valuespeaker.com. So uh, to summarize the four key out of the nine relentless vision uh, and read this, put it on a, what do you call it? A, th a three by five card or something like that, that you read three times a day, morning, noon, and, and night. Um, and have relentless consistency around that. I'll just add that in there. Be be consistent. Condition yourself for change and embrace the suck. Right. Stuff's not going to happen. That it's not all roses and lorikeets and and unicorns and flowers and stuff like that. Um, solve the right problems and secure your base. So talk to your customers. Get get feedback from them in terms of what's working, what you're doing well, or what you're not doing so well, and how you can actually build a closer relationship with those particular customers. And then do the retro looking every quarter in terms of what works what didn't work and what do I need to do to move forward. Um, and so if you do those four things, plus the other five that you're going to get access to when you can. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about the strategy. If you put it into place, I promise you it will work for you. Nice. So as we sort of, because um, I know that's starting to get dark where you are there. Yes. <laughs> um, as we look into 2024, what's what's your thought process? If you had the crystal ball, and no doubt you've had a look at this, um, and you're pretty well um, uh, well versed in how to handle what's what's coming. What are some of the conversations? What are some of the themes that's coming up in relation to 2024 from an uncertainty point of view? Which, by the way, a lot of the strategies we've spoken about will be um, will be very very handy to have in your toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. The um, well, I think the word for 2024 is uncertainty. I mean, yeah. I was just telling, I was on another call before this, and I was telling the group that um, in a matter of 15 minutes on the news this morning, I heard one economist say that interest rates are going to be cut three times. I heard another say they'll only be cut two, and I heard another say that they'd be raised once. Wow. Um, I heard somebody else talking today about the weakness of the dollar, and um, so I, I think what I learned from that. Darren is that nobody has a clue what's going to happen. And I think see I think CEOs and sales professionals are on top of that. I think that's I think because of the level of uncertainty in the marketplace, sales cycles are definitely going to get longer. Decision makers, people are, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their T's. They're taking longer with things. And I think that I think we need a strategy and a plan to navigate through that. You've got to be motivated by it rather yeah. than depleted. 
And I think um, a key to that, particularly from a selling perspective, is get into the head of your customers and um, demonstrate, not just tell them, but demonstrate that you're there to help them, that you're there to serve them. Mm-hmm. Um, because the moment we make it about ourselves and how many of our products and services we can sell, all of a sudden that just means it's a transactional thing rather than a trust advisor right. type of relationship. So particularly in times of uncertainty, that's when you have to double down on, you know, why do you why do you do business with these customers and why do your customers continue to do business with you? Because if you understand that, then you have you can potentially take your relationship to an entirely different level. Right. Right. Nice. So um with that, and thank you so much for, for jumping on in uh Jesus got dark in the last 30 seconds. Yes. How about that? It gets really dark really quickly. It does. Man, it's almost like there's this there's this turning of the of the dial because <laughs> your lights in there have got more brighter. That's right. Amazing. Um, so for people who would like to connect with you, Meredith, learn a little bit more about you, but also what you do in terms of Thrive and all the things you're on, including your podcast, um, you've mentioned valuespeaker.com. Where else can people connect with you and learn more, more about you? Okay, all they need to do is connect with me at my website, valuespeaker.com, or connect with me on um, LinkedIn. Again, okay. I'm a big believer, build your network. It will change your life. If you reach out to me, I will reach out to you. And case in point, that's exactly what I did. And yes, it's exactly. And it worked. And here we are. Because <laughs> I didn't think we'd, we didn't tell the story on this particular podcast. But for those listening, Meredith and I um, serendipitously connected because there was an email that came through that wasn't meant for me um and it ended up there was another person a third party we're doing a podcast with and um you know it's meant to happen meredith that's right and it's been a great conversation (laughs) so um thank you so much for taking the time on a on a busy monday afternoon um you've probably got more things to do now to uh to close out the day so thank you so much for spending the time really appreciate it and thanks for being a guest on the exceptional sales letter podcast Darren, it's been an awesome um, opportunity. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar. Go to leadwithdarren.com. And let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.